Let's, uh, let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Mark chapter 14 this morning. Mark chapter number 14. And I'm going to read a passage of scripture, a story, if you will. It's, when, when I say story, when we talk about the Bible and a story, uh, we're, not, we're not talking about fiction. We're talking about a historical account of something that took place. But this is something that is a familiar uh, account, something that has happened. Most of us are aware of this. Now, it's important to note that there are at least two distinct times in Jesus' ministry where something like this happened, and, and, and there's possibility that there are actually three times because there are some differing details between Mark's account of this, for instance, and John's account of this. And, uh, and, and some have, have supposed that that uh, means that th- these were actually two different events. Um, nothing within them is necessarily contradictory. In other words, it's not that these, this couldn't have happened uh, one time and Mark showed, told it a certain way and John told it a certain way. It, their details don't contradict each other. But there are differences in details given and some assume that maybe uh, th- this actually happened at two distinct times at the end of Jesus' ministry uh, but, but what we see here, and, and we're going to read it in just a moment, this is uh, that time just shortly before Jesus went to the cross that a, a woman made an unusual sacrifice as she took a very expensive box of ointment and poured it out uh, as a symbol of her love for Christ. And the reason that I felt led to preach this to you this morning is because, in essence, that is what we are asking you and and for all of us to do today and over this next year in regard to missions, is to make a sacrifice, and perhaps even an unusual sacrifice, for the glory of God. And so, if you're in Mark 14, I know Brother Carpenter said he was going to have you stand one last time, but... I'm going to have you stand again, if you're able to stand. As we read the scriptures, Mark chapter 14, we're going to begin reading in verse number 3. It says, And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, And she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her, for she hath wrought a good work on me? For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But listen to these words, but me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done 
shall be spoken of uh, shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And I want to preach to you this morning on this subject. A good work. Jesus called this a good work. He said, she hath wrought a good work on me. And, I, and I'm going to say it this way. A good work is a rare sacrifice. A good work is a rare sacrifice. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the scriptures. So here we have this picture as Jesus is making kind of his final... Uh, it's interesting that the, the, the last seven days of Jesus' ministry, we really have more uh, information about that final week of his life before going to the cross than, than the previous three years. Uh, because we, we find so much of the Gospels dedicated to the events that took place as Jesus entered into Jerusalem and He taught in the temple and the different things that He did there in those final days. Well, well, this is if this the setting of this event was in those final days, this final week of Jesus's life before the cross, and here he is in Bethany. Bethany was that town uh, that Jesus really had a special connection to, at least because of uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, those people that the Bible calls his friends. And we see him having uh, a, a significant place of welcome there. In John's account of this event, it actually records that Mary was the one who brought the box of ointment. And again, there is some debate whether that was a different occurrence than this, but either way, we know that this took place in Bethany, and this particular event happened in Simon the leper's house. And a woman who in this passage is unnamed brings this box of ointment of spikenard. Now you have to remember that the setting of this back in the first century in Israel, uh, they didn't have many of the things that we have today. They didn't have pharmacies, and they didn't have Walmart, and they didn't have Amazon, and that kind of thing. And so they would use different substances for multiple purposes. And when you consider, uh, when, when the Bible speaks of ointment, <laughs> uh, ointment was, was usually some kind of an oil that was used for anointing, and, but, but it may have had many purposes, and it may have had medicinal purposes. It may have had healing purposes. It may have had a fragrance, just, just be a, a beautiful fragrance, right? Like a perfume that we would think of. But whatever it was, this spikenard, this ointment, was very, very costly. And it's been mentioned before that the, even the fact that she took this box of ointment and what may have been normally poured out in very uh, limited amounts so as to save and, and, and to be able to use this resource for a long time, the Bible says that she break the box. I mean, she, she wasn't sparing in her sacrifice for Jesus. And so she brings this box of ointment of spikenard. She breaks that box and uses it to pour it on his head, and anoint him with that oil. And you find in verse number uh, 5 that the, the, the argument of the uh, disciples, those who, are, who, who had indignation because of this, it says that it might have been sold for more than 300 pence. Now, we heard this morning in the Sunday school hour that a penny 
In the Bible times, it was the, the, the word behind that word pence or penny is denarius, and it was, it was essentially a day's wage. So 300 pence would be 300 days wages. Now think about this. You say, well, wow, that's almost a year. I bet most of you don't work 300 days out of the year. I mean, we're talking day's wage, not, not you know, we think of things in terms of annual wages, but, but a day's wage, think of this, I, I believe this was more than a year's wage. 300 days worth of work in order to buy this box of ointment, all from a human perspective, all gone just because this woman wanted to do something special for Jesus. Now, in defense of the disciples, I want to say that this was something that from a human perspective was a waste. I've always, I've always felt this way about sometimes the extravagance that people will spend, the, the, the money that people will spend on an extravagant wedding. Ladies, don't get mad at me. I, I, I am all for a bride having a wonderful and memorable day. But folks, it's one day. And there are people that literally say, I, I've known people, I've known people who the mother or the parents of the bride gave a wedding gift. And here was the wedding gift. We will buy you a house or we will pay for whatever wedding you want. And I've known people that have chosen the wedding over the house. I'm just saying, think about that. You could live in a house for a lifetime and a wedding lasts for one day. People will spend extravagantly, and I would say, from my perspective, that's a waste. And there's some degree to which we say, well, we want to do nice things, but we don't want to be wasteful. And so I can understand, to some degree, looking at this and saying, wow, this, this woman, in an, in an attempt to do something special for Jesus, really went overboard. And she wasted something that could have been used for something else, and the spiritual people, quote unquote, said, we could have taken that money, we could have taken that ointment, sold it, and given it to the poor. Think of what that could have done to feed hungry people, to put clothes on their backs, and here we just poured it out, and it's gone. In John's account of this, in John chapter number 12, it describes that, that Judas was the one who actually said this and was angry about this. And it says that he made the statement not because he cared for the poor, but because he was the keeper of the bag and he was a thief. And in his mind, he was thinking, man, if she would have donated that, I could have gotten my cut. And after that is when Judas went out to betray Jesus. I mean, immediately, immediately. That's when he went and sought the, 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 the elders to take Jesus away. And I want to say this, that sometimes it really is sacrifice that separates those who are genuine and serious about serving the Lord and those who are pretenders. Sometimes it is, you know, it's not hard for us to gather together in church like this. In fact, most of us even get some degree of enjoyment out of being here 
listening to beautiful music, singing, having fellowship, listening to preaching. We enjoy this. It's not hard to come to church. And I would say this, in our midst this morning, God knows. I don't know your heart. God knows. I would venture to say that there are some who are here out of a heart of sincerity and love for the Lord and just you desire to seek Him, to know Him, to serve Him, to please Him. And there are probably some who are pretenders. There are probably some that are willing to be part of this, but if it re- when it really comes down to it, you're not really willing to say, Lord, I give you my all. And so here we have this situation where the disciples are gathered and, 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 and this woman makes this extravagant sacrifice and gift. And this was something that was misunderstood. It was something that was rare. Others were not doing this. And I'm thankful that this woman didn't think, you know, if I, if I really want to know what I can do for Jesus... I ought to take a look at what everyone else is doing and try to measure up to that. That wasn't her starting point. That wasn't the the baseline, like, what is everyone else doing, and maybe I can measure up to that. The question in her mind and in her heart was this, what can I do to express my love for my Savior? And with an utter disregard for her own well-being and utter disregard for anyone else's opinion or anyone else's sacrifice, she said, this is something I have and therefore it is something I can give. And this morning I want to say within the context of us taking up our faith promise commitments today, I want to ask of you, for the glory of God, that you would be willing to make a rare sacrifice in order that the gospel can go forth in a greater way and that you may express to God your deep love for Him. Why? Why should we be the rare exception and give abundantly? Let me say this, first of all, we ought to be willing to make a rare sacrifice because Jesus is worthy of our best. Jesus is worthy of our best. Look at verse number 6. As these men were berating her for this waste that she made, (coughs) excuse me, Jesus said, let her alone, (coughs) why trouble ye her, she hath wrought a good work on me. And then he said, in verse number 8, she hath done what she could. This, this is her, his expression. Guys, leave her alone. It's none of your business. She did what she could, and she wrought a good work on me. 
Now, let me say this for you. God is not looking for you to give a lot. I have a cousin who's an electrician in the Chicago area. And uh, he was telling me one time that he was wiring this church building for a mega church that was, it, it had been there and they were, they were building a new building. And he was wiring the building and the parking garage. This, this church had its own parking garage. And the parking garage was set up to where their wealthiest members and their best givers parked closer to the building than other people. They literally had a hierarchy and a status within the church based upon what people could give. You know what I'm thankful for? God doesn't have the same. Because one of the things we're told about Jesus is that early in his ministry, he goes into the temple and he's beholding how people are casting money into the treasury and many that are rich are casting in much and along comes a little widow woman that had two mites which make a farthing, hardly anything. She gives that and Jesus says she's done more than all the others combined. Because they gave of their abundance but she gave all that she had. We were challenged the other night from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 to be willing to first give ourselves to the Lord. And friend, you might look at this and say, you know what? I don't have much to give. Can I remind you of something? Here, here is a, a message that you will never hear from the prosperity preachers. Listen carefully, because I'm only going to say it once. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. He is not sitting up in heaven wringing his hands wondering how the missionaries are going to get paid. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the earth. Listen, everything you have is a gift from God. He doesn't need anything from you. You say, well, then why would I make a sacrifice? Because it's, it's not an amount that he's looking for. You need to give to me. Here's what he's saying. Give me your heart. Be willing to give of yourself to participate in the work with me. And by the way, what you give, I'll reward you for. It's not that God needs something. So, so if someone thinks, well, and, and I've seen this, man. I've, I've seen it. I've been a pastor long enough. I've had people leave the church and say, you're going to notice that I'm gone because you won't have my tithes anymore. You know what? In every case, they were wrong. I'm not saying they didn't give a lot. I'm just saying God didn't need them. God doesn't, need, God doesn't need us. So if you think, well, I have a lot so I can give abundantly and God will be pleased with me. Friend, get rid of that. You need to understand, you don't have anything to offer to God and neither do I. But if you'll give Him what you've got, He can take it and use it for His glory. And so the little lad that shows up to watch Jesus uh, teaching to a multitude one day and just happened to bring a lunch, maybe enough for him and for a buddy or something like that. 
when Jesus says, hey, it's time to feed these people, what food do we have here? He's like, you can have this. And most of us would go, that's nice. But you don't understand. But you put it in Jesus' hands, and what did he do? Because he doesn't, he doesn't need us, but he welcomes us to do what we can, to give our best. As an expression of our love for the Lord, we do our best. And Jesus said, she hath wrought a good work. She hath wrought a good work on me. We ought to give sacrificially because he's worthy of our best. Secondly, let me say this. We ought to give of our best to the Lord because we have limited opportunity. We heard it in the Sunday school hour of those who went out and went into the vineyard at the 11th hour, 5 p.m., just to finish up an hour later. But I want you to notice this. In verse number 4, it says, And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. Notice what Jesus said in verse number 7. He said, For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, ye may do them good, but me ye have not always. Now, I want you to understand, Jesus is not saying, don't give to the poor. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, I don't care about the poor, just give to me. He wasn't being selfish. But he was teaching a truth. Jesus was days away from going to the cross where he would die, be buried, Rise again three days later, and within 40 or 50 days, he'd be caught up into heaven, right? 40 days. And then he was no longer here. The children of the bride chamber, right? Or they, they, the bridegroom, they, they, they fast when he's not there. But, so what, what Jesus is saying is, I'm only here for a limited time. Once I'm gone... You can help the poor all you want, but you have a limited opportunity to express your love to me while I'm bodily on earth. Now, folks, is there an application to this? Do you know what one of the greatest hindrances to Christian people serving the Lord is? All the things that we prioritize above Him. And the mindset is, one day... I'll be able to really give God my all. And I know I've harped on this already a couple times this month. But, but these are things, I'm not speaking of anyone specifically, but these are things that I've heard for many years. Once I pay off my debt, once I retire, once the kids are grown, once the business is able to sustain itself and I won't have to be so involved in the day-to-day business of it, 
then I will be able to be more free to serve the Lord. Friend, I want to tell you something. There are two realities that contradict that. One is, in my experience, that one day never comes. There's always something else that will come up. And the other reality is this. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. What did Jesus say? Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. I I mean, after all, you might be young and healthy and vibrant and feel like your whole life is ahead of you, but friend, you may not wake up tomorrow morning. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Yesterday's gone, and tomorrow is unknown. You know what that means? You can serve God today, and that's all you know. This is your opportunity. This is your moment. And so Jesus says, listen, you're thinking about the poor, and there's nothing wrong with thinking about the poor, but do you realize that the opportunity that you have, the time that you have to show me your love is limited? Folks, I've sat with people who've tragically lost a loved one and said, if I would have known... If I would have known that that was the last time we were going to talk. If I would have known that 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 was the last opportunity that I I had to to say some things or or express to them my love, but now they're gone. And Some of you have felt that before. I've felt that. I wish I had known because I would have done things differently. Friend, do you honestly believe? Listen, I am so ready to go home and be with the Lord, which is far better. But I fear that when the Lord calls me home, there's going to be this thought, Lord, if I would have known. If I would have known the day and the hour, I would have lived differently. I would have done some different things because I thought I had more time. Friend, we don't know how much time we have. Quite honestly, can I say it this way? You think, well, I'll serve God tomorrow. Can I just say this? Why not build a business tomorrow? Why not go on vacation tomorrow? Why not re, you know, retire tomorrow? Why, why not serve God today? So we have limited opportunity. And then let me say this lastly, we ought to be willing to make a sacrifice because eternal things matter so much more than temporal things. Eternal things matter so much more than temporal things. Look what he says. In verse number 9, he says, Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Now, I've thought about that. 
Do the missionaries that we support, everywhere they go, do they preach the gospel and then tell this story of what happened? No, not necessarily. But think about this. Here we are, 2,000 years later, on a Sunday morning, in church, and we're still talking about this woman and what she did for Jesus. You know, that wouldn't have been the case if she had just poured a little bit of ointment on his head and then sold it and given it to the poor. But here he says, listen, what she's doing, this is a lasting sacrifice. It's something that will be remembered, by the way, not just by us, by him. This is, this is something that is going to carry forth. She's, this, is a, this is a legacy moment. <laughs> She's making a difference for eternity. Friends, can I just say to you, we, we have to get out of the mindset that the things that are constantly vying for our time, attention, money, energy, are actually that which is the greatest priority in life. Let me, set, let me set some priorities in order in your life. And wherever you are in life, these things apply to you. Priority number one needs to be your relationship to God. If you've never been saved, there is nothing, there is nothing in this world that ought to be more important to you than getting that right with God. Today. Today. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Friend, there is nothing worth going to hell for. Nothing. Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. Because it's better to enter into life maimed than it is to enter into hell with a whole body. There's nothing worth going to hell for. Get it right with God today. And then I would say, you ought to serve God with your life if you've been saved. Serving God is a priority. Don't sacrifice relationships with people that God has put in your life for temporal things. Dads, your children are more important than your job. They're eternal souls. Your wife is more important than your golf clubs. I'm just saying, priorities, they matter, right? So here's what he's saying. Listen, <laughs> this woman, the sacrifice she's making, it's making a difference for all of eternity. I'm not trying to tell you. I, I do not want to be the Holy Spirit in your life. I don't. <clears throat> but I would venture to say that there are some things that you might be thinking in your mind. You know, I would give this to missions, except I really want this new vehicle 
and that payment is going to really eat into my budget. I really need to do this repair on my house. I really, and, and listen, I'm not saying, you know, to live in a place where there's holes in the floor and, you know, you can't keep your family warm. And I'm not saying you have to eat ramen noodles for the rest of your life so that you can give to missions. I'm just simply saying this. Don't prioritize temporal things over eternal things. Don't prioritize temporal things over eternal things. This woman understood what was happening. And by the way, she was the only one, as far as I can tell, that really took Jesus' words to heart that he was going to the cross. Notice she said, it says here in verse number 8, she hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. She, Jesus said the reason she's doing this is because she knows that I am about to die and she's anointing me ahead of time, almost like what we would embalm someone today. They used to put a bunch of perfumes and spices on them, and, and this was symbolic that she was recognizing that he was about to die. And even the disciples missed that. Brother Kuzel talked about that last night. Peter rebuking Jesus. This isn't going to happen. We're never going to let that happen. And when Jesus died for three days, those disciples are going, what are we going to do? Even though he told them, I'm going to die and rise again three days later, they didn't believe it. They must have thought it was some spiritual you know, symbolism. They weren't taking the word of God literally. But she did. She knew. She was focused on eternal things, and she knew Jesus was about to go and die. She took the moment that she had. And she said, I'm going to give my best for my Lord. Can I lovingly admonish you, friend? This is your moment to give your best for your Savior. Savior. 